Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. Uh, the spring seems to have dissipated into summer already, so we've got some mugginess and all those sorts of things, but very, very thankful for the opportunity to have the sun shining and uh, love this time of year. So how are you? Good, good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying the warmth that's verging on heat. I don't like heat. <laughs> I've worked outside several years, and I'm not a I'm not an outdoors guy. I'm uh, indoors sitting, uh, uh, reading a book or playing video games. There you go. So Awesome. Uh, yep. So we're looking at Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, so that's a that's a big passage. We really get to see Mary shining in her faith there. Yeah. Uh, so as non-Catholics, though, it's kind of easy to develop a, a little bit of an aversion to Mary and some of these Mary passages just because of how highly she has held in Catholicism. But like here and other places in the Gospels, we really do see that she was an incredible woman. So what are some quick practical lessons we can learn from Mary? Well, I think that's a great point, and I think we need to be careful not to allow the pendulum to swing too far the other way. Um, certainly, we do not uh, venerate Mary as those in the Roman Catholic Church would. We don't pray to Mary. We don't um, seek her intercession in our lives. The Bible tells us that there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's First Timothy 2, verse 5. Um, so we do not seek to have Mary intercede for us. We do not pray to her. Um, but I think we do need to honor her as she lived out her calling, um, which was a unique and very specific calling. And she did it faithfully, and she didn't do it perfectly. There were there were certainly times when when certainly Mary missed the mark, and there those times are recorded in Scripture. But um, she was faithful to the calling of God on her life. She needed Jesus's death on the cross for her sin, just as you and I need Jesus's death on the cross for our sin. Um, but again, I think that we need to be careful not to fail to honor her for her faithfulness in carrying out an, a profoundly difficult call 
calling um, and to honor her for her faithfulness and trusting and following God through it all because she did. And so as we talked about in the message, there are just so many moments where Mary surrendered herself to the will of God, whether that was in the Annunciation as Gabriel visited her, uh, whether that was in the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus going into Bethlehem. I have to tell you, being in that cave home um, and, and going down into the lower portion where the animals would have been held, there is nothing hospitable about that. Um, nothing at all. Very, very, very stony. Very nothing. Nothing soft and plush and all those sorts of things. Um, but then uh, the flight to Egypt, coming back to Nazareth, having been to Nazareth, um, there was a reason that Nathaniel said, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" I'm going to tell you, Nazareth is. Um, I'll, I'll just say it's not my sit, my favorite city among the Holy Land cities. Um, but then watching her son. Um, go through what he went through for all of us. Um, she really lived out her faith in a very important way. And so again, uh, I think we Protestants can be guilty of allowing the pendulum to swing too far the other way and not appropriately honoring her uh, for her faithfulness. Again, let me be clear. We don't ask her to be our mediator. We don't pray to her, nor do we pray to any saint or anything like that. Uh, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And so we come to God through Christ directly. Uh, we don't need a priest. We don't need a saint. We don't need Mary. Um, we go immediately through Christ to God, and uh, we're very, very thankful for that. But um, my goodness, she was faithful, and what a great blessing and what a great lesson to all of us. Yeah, and I appreciate that the Gospels contain both the stories where Mary is just putting her faith on display and saying, you know, I'm here, I'm the servant of the Lord. Um, but then it also has maybe even a tacit rebuke of her and uh, Jesus' brothers. So here I'm looking at uh, Matthew 12 at the end of the chapter. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking him to speak to him. Uh, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So it seems like he's making a distinction that this is not the time for me to be with my family. This is the time for me to be doing ministry and to be pouring out into my disciples. I, maybe I'm reading this into it, but maybe even like the ones who are like, becoming my disciples and doing my will, this is who I'm investing into right now. I, I don't have the time at this moment to be with my family, as important as family is. Am, am I reading that into it? Well, no. I mean, there some scholars would say that because there's no mention of father in that passage, that maybe Joseph has died by this time, and maybe Mary and, and Jesus's brothers are trying to compel him, come take care of your family. You're the uh, firstborn. Come and, and, and pour into your family. And Jesus is saying, that is not the call of God on my life. So again, we're implying, we're, we're, we're reading from the text, um, but again, that is uh, something that scholars would at least offer as a possible explanation for what's going on here. Yeah. And then you were talking uh, outside the podcast about John 7, where he was talking to his brothers, and his brothers were saying, hey, if you're actually the Messiah, you should come and proclaim yourself in Jerusalem at one of the festivals. Like, that's really what you should do. Here's how you should be the Messiah, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and he was <laughs> saying, that's that's not that's not appropriate. It's not my time. And the, and, and in this passage makes me think of him talking about and not fasting, with his disciples not fasting while he's with them, while the bridegroom is uh, with the host. 
um, he's supposed to be doing his mission there, and the people who are with the bridegroom are supposed to be rejoicing and spreading the word about him in that moment. The time for fasting will come when he's not there, but for right now, it's not the time for fasting. Yeah, and it says in that passage in John 7 that not even his own brothers believed in him. And so that certainly doesn't give us any indication of Mary's heart in that moment, but what you do have is tension within the family, no doubt. Um, So his brothers, um, James and Jude, for example, um, who would later write books that are written, uh, that 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 are titled under their names, Um, at this time did not believe in Jesus. And so you can only imagine the sorts of conversations that are going on in the household. Um, Who does he think he is? What does he think he's doing? Well, if this is who you are, then go ahead and embrace it. Go ahead and, 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 and bring your followers out and proclaim yourself in Jerusalem. Ride down the Mount of Olives and let us sing Hosanna, Hosanna. Um, and he's saying that's, that's not yet. Um, now, we know they came around, um, but we, we don't have an indication of Mary's heart in this moment uh, other than the fact that she was still around and the fact that she was there at the cross, that she was with the disciples after the resurrection, after the ascension. Um, so again, there's some there's some blanks that will get filled in in glory, and we will be glad to receive that information. But what we do need to do uh, is to be careful not to allow those blanks to be filled in with legend. Um, and and I'll just say, you know, I put this in in my flock note message that, for example, one of the differences between us and Roman Catholics would be a couple of the dogmas surrounding Mary. Um, so uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes that Mary was um, immaculately conceived, conceived without sexual intercourse, um, such that there was no stain of original sin on her. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, actually, it came from a pope, Pius IX, in the year 1854, because the Catholics have a doctrine that when the pope is speaking ex cathedra, which is a Latin term that literally means from the chair, so when the pope is speaking ex cathedra from the office of the Pope, uh, in their view, that the Pope is infallible. So uh, that word that Mary was immaculately conceived becomes as um, authoritative in Roman Catholicism as the Bible. And we obviously, as Protestants and Baptists and evangelicals, do not hold to that belief. And we also don't hold to the bodily assumption of Mary, that this notion that she did not die, but like Jesus, she uh, was bodily assumed into heaven. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, that came from Pius XII in 1950. So that's a, that, 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 that dogma is one year older than my dad. Um, and again, it's, it's the Pope speaking ex cathedra to, um, to establish that dogma. And so again, we would say, no, we need to look to Scripture. Now, we need to look to the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we have nothing that would indicate any of that. And so we have to be careful not to allow blanks to be filled in um, with legend or um, with with stories that, whether we like them or not, um, are not Scripture. Sure. So that'll take us into our next question. So this is kind of getting into that, trying to get into the Old Testament and the New Testament to, to find answers if we can. So when Gabriel told Mary that she was going to conceive and bear a son, she asked, how can this be since I'm a virgin? But earlier in the chapter, Gabriel told Zechariah, that is the, the father of John the Baptist, that he and his elderly wife would bear John the Baptist. And Zechariah responded, 
how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So my question is, Gabriel made Zechariah mute. He, he slapped him with muteness until uh, John the Baptist was born. Yep. But, but he didn't scold Mary for you know, also making a question uh, of him in that moment. So w- why the different responses from Gabriel to these different objections? Well, I think that that's a great question, and there's some degree to which we have to infer because the Bible doesn't explicitly say, well, Zechariah acted this way, but Mary acted this way. But let's look just at the, just at the, the, the words they say. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So what is Zechariah communicating? Well, he's communicating that, number one, he's old. Number two, He's his wife is old, but he's smart enough not to say that she's old. She says she's advanced in years, and that's better. Um, but there's almost some sense in which he's speaking from a place of jadedness, a place of look. We've been we've been we've been working at this for a long time. We've allowed that dream to die. Um, I've watched my wife suffer with infertility. This has been so hard on her. Um, we've sought to be faithful through it all. Um, but how am I supposed to know this? Because it's almost like Zechariah saying, okay, God, you're a little too late for this to happen. Whereas when Mary speaks, and now I'm looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So we could read doubt into Mary's statement, or we could read a, a pure desire for understanding. How's, how's this going to work? Like, what, what needs to happen in order for this to take place? And so um, what I'm reading in these texts is, is perhaps Zechariah is coming from a different place. Um, and and it, it reminds me of where... Isaac got his name, not yours, <laughs> but the, the one back, right. you know. The, the name my the son is named after. A few yeah. thousand years ago, uh, <laughs> means it means he laughs, you know, and, and this idea of, of Sarah saying, how, how is it, come on, you know, the, the promise has been around for 24 years, how's this going to come about? I mean, you know, I feel like, God, you've waited a little too long, and um <laughs> God didn't work that way. God is not bound by those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, again, there's there's some inference there that I'm drawing uh, based on the words that they are saying. But I, I think that Zechariah is coming from a, a different place than Mary's coming from. It seems that Mary is asking a legitimate question, whereas Zechariah is making a statement with a question mark at the end of it. Mm. And those are two different things. Yeah, yeah. So in, in reading it, I, we, we were talking about uh, Abraham and Isaac uh, and Sarah. I I'm think of the uh, Jewish interpretation of those stories about Abraham and Sarah being told they would bear Isaac. Mm-hmm. So the in, in Genesis 17, God tells Abraham, you're going to bear a son. It's going to be through Sarah, your wife, not through <laughs> not, someone else. Not it's Hagar. Be Sarah. Yeah, right. yeah, not through Hagar. <laughs> Uh, and and Abraham just falls on his face and starts laughing, <laughs> and he, he's like, you know, I, I'm going to bear a son. Uh, let me let me pull it up here. He says, shall I, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So it on the surface it sounds like he's saying, I'm old, she's old. Yeah, right. It, it, that's right. It, this can't happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then it goes on and he, he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, that yeah. my other son through, you know, another wife. But God says, no, but Sarah shall be, Sarah, your wife shall bear your son and you shall call his name Isaac, which is after the name or which is after the word laughter. Mm. Um, but then Sarah has a similar experience where she 
in the next chapter in Genesis 18, um, here overhears that you know they're going to bear a son through her, and she's like, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Which is to say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. How's this yeah, supposed right. to work? Um, and Jewish interpretation looks at those two things and says that, um, yeah, they both laughed, but Sarah didn't laugh enough. That was the problem. Ah, Yeah, is okay. that Abraham was laughing because he was like, I can't believe this is going to happen. Yeah. This is too good to be true. Um, but Sarah was just laughing, just like, no, this is not going to happen. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. Now, you know, it's not a direct parallel, and we don't know that that's the case with um, Elizabeth. No, sorry. Yeah, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Yeah, we don't know that that's the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth and with uh, Zechariah's potential doubt and with Mary's potential just following up, you know, maybe even with a laugh saying, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. Um, now, you don't, we don't know that's the case, but that came to mind when we were uh, thinking about it. And that's why I asked the question. It's, we don't know, but it's, it's interesting trying to figure out, like, practically, what lesson do we take from this story? Well, and again, from, from a Bible study technique, I mean, you, you look, what is exactly what Gabriel says in response? And so Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so there's the judgment. Zechariah didn't believe. And so we always ask the Scripture to help us understand the Scripture. Mm. And um, we don't have any sort of, um, Mary, you didn't believe from Gabriel, uh, but we do have that with Zechariah. Yeah, it's good that Gabriel uh, dropped his title and wanted us to know exactly who he was and why Let he was upset. Let me explain to you, yeah, Zechariah, yeah. who I am. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Pull up a chair. <laughs> So that'll take us into today's listener question. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Jeff, what would it have been like raising the Messiah, the promised son of David, who also happened to be sinless? You know, I had a a student many years ago come into my office and ask the question, how bad would it have stunk to have been James Christ? Yeah. Now couple things. Number one, Christ is not the family name, okay? Christ is the title. It is anointed one. It is the Greek uh, version of Messiah. So I had to correct that. Christ is not their surname. Um, But the point that that the student was making was well taken that, okay, here's James, here's Jude, here are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. He had brothers and sisters. They were all younger than him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is, he's not only the good one, He is without sin. Like, he's the perfect one. Um, I can only imagine that there had to be some pretty intense sibling rivalry that would lead to moments like John chapter 7. Well, if you're the Messiah, won't you just go on up to Jerusalem? Let's get this over with. Let's get the show on the road. Um, I mean, frankly, it had to be tough. Uh, it had to be tough to be Mary and Joseph, and then particularly when Joseph disappears from the picture, presumably that he died. Um, here's Mary, who is raising her family, and she's a sinner. 
and Jesus is not. And so, you know, again, I think there's a lot of temptation. Um, there's even what we would call pseudepigraphic literature um, that we were discussing a moment ago uh, before the, we started recording this this infancy gospel of Thomas, mm-hmm. um, which is not scripture nope. and not written by Thomas and not, you know, good to read or to learn from. But there were these there were these very early on, there were these attempts to fill in the blanks. And so the infancy gospel of Thomas has Jesus growing up. It takes us from Luke 2.52 to the time when Jesus appears uh, in the Judean wilderness and is baptized by John the Baptist. Um, and and there's just these outlandish stories about... You know, Jesus was playing with his friends one day, and the the friend's parents got on to Jesus, and Jesus struck them blind. And that did not happen. So hear me, that did not happen. Um, And then there's another account in there where Jesus is making uh, mud pies or making, you know, animals out of mud and throws them up, and they turn into birds and fly away. You know, again, didn't happen. But what is it? We're trying to – it's people trying to fill in the blanks that Scripture leaves. Um and unfortunately, um, to do so in a very dishonest and um, non-straightforward way. And so we do not recognize those books as, as true or trustworthy or to be used in any way like Scripture. Um, but I would say just thinking back to what it must have been like for Mary to raise Jesus and to have other kids, um, it had to be a completely unique experience because here's the deal as a parent for me as a parent for you um, we're raising little sinners but we also are big sinners mm-hmm. and so we're, we're we're battling sin mary was raising sinners as a sinner herself with the exception of her firstborn son who never sinned in thought word deed action attitude by commission or by omission and i would say that that um, presented some unique joys and some unique challenges along the way yeah it makes me think of when he was 12 and they took him to the temple and then he he, he stayed in the temple for whatever reason. I mean, we know why he, he stayed there and he continued studying with the, the rabbis and the sages of Israel for several days until they found him. But, you know, that on the surface that could be taken as, oh, you know, he shouldn't have stayed behind. He shouldn't have disobeyed his parents or, or done something against their will. But it's like, you can't you can't say that with Jesus because he's, <laughs> that's right. He didn't sin. <laughs> His motive was pure, yeah. uh, and and that story is so interesting. How do you yeah. lose Jesus? I mean, you know, you've been entrusted with the Savior of the world. How, what? How do you lose him? Yeah. Um, but you got to remember they they would have been traveling in a huge caravan, and the family structure was not the nuclear family like what we have right now. Right. I mean, you go to Nazareth today. And none of the houses are like complete. They keep adding on to them. Why do they keep adding on to them? Because they're doing the same thing they did 2,000 years ago. When the son gets married, they add on to the existing family home, and the wife comes and lives with the, the, the son there. The wife comes and lives with her husband there. And so the homes are always growing. And that was a question when we were on the tour. Somebody said, why do none of these homes look finished? And our guide gave that answer. And then I was able to say, it's kind of like John 14, 1 through 6, when Jesus is saying, I go to prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I'll come back and get you. Same sort of thing. Um, So familial structure was much, much bigger at this time. It wasn't just mom, dad, and kids. It was 
it was this, 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 we're living as a large family unit. We're traveling as a large family unit. The, the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem for this sort of a festival would have been a huge deal. And so, yeah, <laughs> you got to have grace for Mary and Joseph along the way. But then you also consider the fact that Jesus, who has not yet reached the age of his bar mitzvah and would not yet have been allowed to read the Song of Solomon, for example, um, is now teaching the sages and rabbis and teachers of Israel at the temple. It's a phenomenal thing. It is. And listeners, I think it's very instructive to us that uh, even Joseph and Mary lost track of Jesus. So that's a lesson that we can take home with us today. Praise the Lord. Feel better about your own parenting this day. Jeff, can you pray us out today? Let's do it. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for the humanness of this story, um, that God became man through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Or we believe that's absolutely true, and we affirm the virgin birth of Jesus. We affirm that he is 100% God and 100% man. And Lord, we're so thankful Lord, we know that Mary carrying out her calling had to have an uphill battle in so many ways. And we're thankful that she trusted and followed you enough to engage that life, to engage her calling. And we are all blessed because of it. So, Lord, while we do not look to Mary as our mediator or as one to intercede for us, uh, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, we do honor Mary's faithfulness as she lived out her faith in a way that blessed Jesus and in a way that blesses all of us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the example that she gives, and we pray that we also would likewise be faithful to the calling to which each of us has been called. We ask these things trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editor is Chad Walden. 